Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. He was always perfect. He has been perfected forever. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, it says, For he, God, made Jesus, him who knew no sin, to be sin for us. He was without sin. There is no sin within Jesus. There never was. If you're ever on PBS or watch some kind of YouTube video and you hear about Jesus having some kind of affair with Mary Magdalene, you can disregard it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our Bible study on Truth in Christ Radio. Today, John defines the mission of Jesus Christ at its most basic root, to take away our sin. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel Gabriel says to Joseph, referring to the ministry of Jesus, that you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Jesus had no sin to take away. Therefore, he could take away our sin, taking it upon himself. Lord, thank you for your glorious sacrifice for all of us. And now, let's join Pastor Rob for today's lesson. It comes from God. It doesn't come from within us, because there is nothing in us that wants to be sinless in and of ourselves. He invaded us. He had to plant a new nature within me to make me to crave righteousness to want to be like him. Don't you want to be like him? Aren't you sick of your old flesh? Aren't you so tired of, of going through the motions and just being beat over the head like a club with your, with your sins? Maybe sins that have just been kind of, it, it may not be habitual, but it may be something that just over time, it's just kind of like my Achilles heel, you know? Do you have an Achilles heel? Is there something that plagues you? Maybe other things have gone away, but now as a child of God, you're, you're still going along, and every now and then, man, you just get your feet wiped out from underneath you. You're not alone if that is the case. But he purifies us, but he also asks us to purify, to cleanse. God works in us and also gives us the power to resist sin and to be victorious in it. What does he say in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12? He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, here is the verse, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, now, if you just take that verse at face value, you may think, well, I've got to work, my, work, work this out myself and earn my favor with God, earn my way into heaven. No, because the next part of the verse is the one that everybody leaves out. <laughs> and it says, for it is God who works in you, both to will 
and then to do. Notice the process. To will, let me repeat that. Work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling, for it is God who works in you, first to will and then to do of his good pleasure. I don't even have the will to do God's will. He places that in me. He changes my heart. He changes your heart. And then he gives you something to do with it. He gives you something to do. He changes your heart. Are you worried about, what? I don't know what God wants to do with my life. Well, you don't have to worry about it. It's not going to be a problem. You're not going to hate it. If you are really in the center of God's will, you are going to love it with all of your heart. Honestly, I'm loving what he's doing in my heart, in my life. Could never have seen it coming. I would have laughed if you'd have told me I'd be doing what I'm doing now, what God would do this. I, honestly, I would have laughed. I'm loving it. Love it. And when you're in the center of God's will, you are going to love it too. He first makes you willing. He changes your heart, and then guess what? And all of a sudden, the doing is very natural. Because the battle has already been won of the will. The will has to be submitted to God. To me, that's the hardest thing about even a child, is to break their will. My will needed to be broken before I would finally get on my knees and confess my sin before God. I had to be broken like a horse that's just this black stallion that's just full of, full of rage and this male horse just filled with power. can just trample over anybody. doesn't even feel, doesn't even know you exist. It needs to be broken so that that horse can be, a, a saddle can be put on that horse and a bridle and a bit. And now you can move that horse and cause it to leap over things. You can cause it to turn little subtle movements. You can cause it to do certain things. We need to be broken. I needed to be broken. I still need to be broken. A broken and contrite heart, God, you will no wise cast away. Isn't that what? He will never cast you away. But we have to be broken. But he causes us to will and then to do. But, but, but even in spite of him cleansing us, even in spite of him purifying us and, and, and having purified us and will ultimately purify us, we also have to do the same. And it has to be in that order. He's the one who does it initially. He initiates it. And now we have to do something in return, don't we? In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, in our letter that we're looking at, what did John say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus cleansed us. But because of what he has done, notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 20. Let me read it to you. Paul says, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We have to put off something, and we have to put something else on. And that's something, folks, that we have to do. We have to do it. It's not legalism. He has already purified us. We are already perfected in his sight. But practically, day to day, we need to, with the Spirit of God in us, because we have the power of the Spirit of God in us, now we can do it. Now we have the ability to do it. Is it going to be easy? No. Is it going to be hard at times? You better believe it. Sometimes it's going to drive you in tears and get on your knees because you're like undergoing so much stress and temptation. Sometimes you need to drop. I would encourage you to drop. Don't cave into the sin. When you're going through it, you drop to your knees and you just start praying. 
Because you don't have strength by yourself to do it. You have to rely on his strength, his strength. But we have to do it, right? When I'm faced with something, I have to put that thing off, and I have to put something else on. That's what we have to do. He's done the greatest work. Now we have to appropriate it. We have to put feet on it. And he's even with us in the midst of it. To me, that's the the great thing about it. And you know, Paul was so vehement about this. In fact, in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, he says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He was just so bent, so bent on doing the will of God. Doing the will of God. In verse 4, it says, Whoever commits sin and commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. This word, unfortunately, in the New King James Version, kind of just, it, it may not mean a lot to you, but in the King James Version, there is something that you'll see that really gives it away. Whosoever, and this is in the King James Version, it reads this way, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Whenever you see this word, if you're reading the King James, an E-T-H suffix at the end of a verb, it means continuous present tense. It means a continuous habit. It means something that you're continually doing, something we should be continually doing, or maybe something we shouldn't be doing. But notice, that's what it is in in this verse. It's the continuous present, which means whoever continues to commit sin also commits, continues to commit lawlessness. That's the idea. John, in John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus answered his disciples and he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And the idea is the same here. Whoever continues to commit sin is a slave to sin. It's like a bondage that you can never get out of if you never break the chain. Because whenever you continue doing that thing that you know you ought to do, what you're doing is you're adding more fire, more fuel to the fire. You've got to starve that fire. Whatever it is, you've got to starve it. You've got to take away. And the e- it'll get easier and easier and easier. But it will be hard. And it'll be something you have to f- purpose to do with all of your heart. I would have you write this verse down in Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. Paul just talks about this idea of being a slave to sin and how we need to turn away from it. And whoever we are holden to, whatever sin has us in uh, submission, we are in, that, is, that is our master. But it must, it must be broken. And so I would encourage you to read that when you get a moment. Romans chapter 6, 15 through 23. But in verse 5 he goes on, And you know that he was manifested, Jesus was manifested to take away our sin. And there is no sin in him. There is no sin in him. Jesus is the ultimate superhero. How come we have Captain America, and we have Spider-Man, and we have Iron Man, and we have all these, the league, you know, why do we have all this stuff? The greatest superhero is Christ. He's a lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
In him there is no sin. In Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 15, Paul said, or the author says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, but what? Yet without sin. Yet without sin. Later on in Hebrews, in chapter 7, verse 26, he says this, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy. He is holy. He's harmless. He's undefiled. He's separate from sinners. He's separate from the thing that he created. He's separate from it altogether. And at the later end of verse 28 in that same chapter, the son who has been perfected forever. He was always perfect. He has been perfected forever. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, it says, For he, God, made Jesus, him who knew no sin, to be sin for us. He was without sin. There is no sin within Jesus. There never was. If you ever on PBS or watch some kind of YouTube video and you hear about Jesus having some kind of affair with Mary Magdalene, you can disregard it. If you hear of any story about Jesus when he was young by some lost gospel that they found somewhere in the creek, some sewer, they found some manuscript. Oh, what is it? Let's look at it. What is it? What is it telling us? Oh, and then they'll say, oh, when Jesus was a little boy, you know, he would play games. He would see a little bird flying and just go, and the bird would just cease to exist, you know. Stories, nonsense like this kind of stuff. If it was really important, he would have put it in here for us. But does his character, his character, he will not deny his character. And anything he does, he will not, cannot deny himself. He cannot be somebody other than who he is. He's perfect. And whoever abides in him, verse 6 does not sin. And this is the same word again. This word abides. And the King James says, abideth. Whoever abideth in him does not, or sinneth not. There's our idea here. The idea is, whoever abides in him, if you're really abiding, if you're really dwelling with Jesus and listening to him and reading his word, being in prayer, if you're abiding in him and resisting the flesh, guess what? You're not going to continue in sin. Does it mean that you're going to be sinless? No, it means that you're going to, whoever abides in him does not continue to sin. Whoever is continually abiding in him is not going to continue in sin. You're going to sin, but you're not going to continue in it. You're going to fall every now and then, but we're talking about habitual sin, the kind of thing that you're just doing, and there's no even, there's no even conscience of it anymore. You just want to continue doing it. And he goes on in verse 6, whoever sins, whoever sinneth, if you've got a King James, there it is again, that that present tense, continuous, whoever continues to sin, neither has seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And he who sins is of the devil. For the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That idea, again, he who continues to sin who has a, 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 a habit of sinning. There's no more conscience anymore. It's just it's like breathing. You're just continuing to do what you've always felt comfortable doing. It's a, it's a familiar place to you. If you continue to sin, you are of the devil. 
For the devil has sinned. The idea in the, in, the, in the language is he has sinned and continues to sin. He's never ceased to sin. He has always sinned from the beginning. And this is why the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the enemy. In verse 9 it says, Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Here's another verse that will make you cry. I cried over it. <laughs> Whosoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now, if you look at that at face value, you're going to get really discouraged. But here's where the English translation kind of fails us. In the original, it makes complete sense. In the, in the original Greek, if you were a Greek reader who he wrote this to, it would all make sense. The tense, the idea would be behind it, and you would make sense. But for us, if you read this, let me read it again, because it ought to... to, to make you feel a little sad. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Are you born of God? Yes. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Ouch. For his seed, the, God, the seed of the Spirit of God, remains in him, and he, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Again, our English language is going to be an inhibitor here because we have to understand this idea of this continuous present tense. Let me read it to you this way. In the NIV, I think, reads a little bit better. It says, No one who is born of God will continue in sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. The idea is they're not going to continue in, 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 without any thought about it. They're going to they're stumble. You're going to sin from time to time, but it's talking about the person who's just in it, and they just keep doing it. Oh, God will forgive me. God will forgive me. Yeah, he does forgive you, but there ought to be some repentance in your life because it's by the repentance that we really, that the evidence that we really have. Don't be condemned by this, but let it challenge you. Every one of us has issues in our life that if we read this verse, this, this could all bring us to tears and then when you compare it with what we read in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8-10, through 10, let me read this to you. This will make you feel a little bit better. Now, I'm not here to make you feel better. I'm here to tell you the truth. Because what does it say in 1 John? And John included himself in the statement. Pay note to the pronouns. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. John is including himself in this. If we say that we have no sin, if we, if we say that we don't have a sin nature, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But notice, he includes himself again. But if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, John is including himself in this. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, the individual acts of sin, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So John is saying, hey, we're going to sin, and when we do, we confess it. But now, here, in verse 9, he says, whoever is born of God does not sin. You have to understand the, the construction here, again. And our English doesn't do it justice. He who continues to be in sin. If you're truly born again, you're not going to be just like, it's going to be something that's going to happen every now and then. It's not going to be the norm. The norm is going to be walking with Christ, but every now and then you're going to slip. Just like when you're walking down the street, you're going to slip from time to time. That ought to be the, the thing that doesn't happen that often. And hopefully as time goes on, we become more aware of this. We hate it more. We, we rely on the grace of God more. And we sin less than we did last year. And as we get closer to the Lord, we sin less than we did. That's the true hallmark of a child of God. 
But if my life is completely riddled with sin and I have no desire and I just continue, I have reason to question my salvation. Lord, am I really one of yours? Now, you may be saved and be going through a really dark time. You just get on your knees and you ask God to help you. He will. He will never leave you nor forsake you, even to the end of the age. He's not going to leave you laying there with your heart opened and bleeding to death. He's not going to leave you that way. He loves you. He loves you. Does that make sense? It's all about the tense. You know, I would encourage you as you read uh, verses 4 down through 9 especially, make sure that when you read that, you go back to chapter 1 of this letter and you look at chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, and you read that. And they're not a contradiction. They are both accurate. It's just saying that when you do sin, we confess it, and he's faithful to forgive us, right? And we turn from it. But it's also true that as we are children of God, there ought to be a, a change in us. There ought to be, remember, he makes us, he causes us first to will and then to do of his good pleasure. One of the things he wants to will you to do is to hate what he hates and to love what he loves. I hate my sin. Sometimes I love it. That's why I do it. But I hate it. Because it separates me. It breaks this fellowship, doesn't it? And maybe you feel the same way. But don't be discouraged. Do not be discouraged. This is why Jesus came. And this is the unpopular thing that has to be told. We have to be told that these things are true of us. That's why it's so hard to tell someone else. Nobody likes to be offended if you try to tell some really well-to-do person that they, they have everything going on for them, they've got the, you know, everything, and they themselves think there's really something, and to go up to a person like that and say, you know what, you've got everything, but you've got nothing. God loves you, but you've got nothing. See, God doesn't have a problem giving you things. He doesn't have a problem with somebody being wealthy. The patriarchs in the Bible were, all of them were wealthy, but their hearts were right in it, right? But we need to not allow our culture and even the church to remove the teeth of this gospel that we hold so dear because that is the teeth of the gospel, isn't it? That we have sinned against a holy God, but there's hope. There's hope in Christ. We have to tell people. There's bad news first, and then there's good news. That's why it's called the good news. Amen? Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Know that God loves you. He's got a great and wonderful plan for your life. And he just delights. He delights when you come to him with all of your cares and concerns, all of your heart issues, everything ugly that you would never tell a friend because you don't want to overwhelm your friend. You can go to God and you can lay it out before him. You can lay it out like a blueprint, uh, like an architect. Just lay it all out before him. Don't be afraid to share with him all the ugly things. Share with him the great things the good things, and share with him every vile thing that you've ever done and tell him everything. You don't have to be afraid. He knows already, but he waits for you to come because there's something about coming before him and coming into agreement with him. I have to agree with him. That's so important, so important. That's the teeth of the gospel. 
Don't ever let it slip from your mouth. Share it in love and in grace. Love people. Isn't that a hallmark of the child of God, to love? We didn't get into that um, passage yet. But the hallmark of the child of God is to love. We don't have to put, you know, rub people's nose in. They've already had enough of that. They need to hear deliverance. I love that about Jesus. Has he set you free this morning? Do you know that he loves you passionately? Do you know that he gave everything for you? He gave up something. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, thank you for your love and your grace, Father. We just uh, we rely upon you, Father. And we thank you, Lord, that each one of us, if we have called, asked you into our heart as our Lord and Savior, Lord, we are now the children of God. I'm sorry that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as we continue our study in John's epistles. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.